So as an internet fossil, you know, I've been covering the news for the last 15 years. I'm 35 years millennials. I think it's important to understand what the youth thinks. Which is why today in a DeFranco first, I'm gonna be interviewing and talking with our unofficial Gen Z correspondent, Emerson Brophy. Emerson, buddy, thank you for taking the time, man. Yeah, of course, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So yeah, just jumping straight into it. What are your thoughts regarding the, the new restrictive law out in Texas that we've been talking about this past week? Some folks believe a life begins when egg meets sperm and wanna force all pregnant women to carry to term. Am I having a stroke? But their actions point to something that you wouldn't expect. That right, they think kids only matter when they're not Born yet. Oh, okay. Emerson, I, I just. Family leave and childcare funding fails. Take away their parents at the border and jail. Kids crazy for climate action under crippling death. Show them they only matter when they're not born yet. Okay, but Emerson, isn't this about abortion? If abortion was the issue, contraception would reduce it. Oh, okay. But wouldn't you know, certain people made it difficult for everyone to use it. Oh. They do anything else you don't like? Publicly shame them if they can't afford lunch. Refuse to keep schools safe from COVID or guns. For once, I wish their actions would disprove what I've said. That they think kids only matter when they're not born yet. Oh my god, thank you for making it so I definitely shouldn't go on Twitter for the next 72 hours. And I guess also thank you for the time. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. What the f? And just like that, it became Philip DeFranco's final episode, cancelled via musical. Sup, you beautiful bastards! Welcome back to The Philip DeFranco Show, and hey, well, yes, you could hit the like button to help spread and support common sense news coverage. Also, if you want me to release an all-musical Philip DeFranco show, get us to 150,000 likes. Ugh, what would that even look like? Anyway, let's just jump into it. And first up today, let's talk about an international war that you may not even know about right now, and that is the war on big boobs. And at the center of this war, fighting the battle today, you have Billie Eilish, the singer, opening up about her rise to fame and the amount of criticism that she receives for doing simple things like changing her style. For those unfamiliar, Billie became known early on for her green hair and oversized clothing, with some seeing that as her refusing to be sexualized, but recently she's dyed her hair blonde. She's been experimenting with different fashion pieces like dresses and corsets. Right? And regarding that, in the interview, she said, people hold on to these memories and have an attachment, but it's very dehumanizing. I lost 100,000 followers just because of the boobs. People are scared of big boobs. But they're also saying she doesn't want fans to overthink her choices. Right? And saying she dyed her hair blonde partly because green hair made her so easily recognizable in public. And adding an example, saying the other day I decided to wear a tank top, it wasn't even a provocative shirt, but I know people are going to say, holy fuck, she's dressing sexy and trying to make a statement. And I'm like, no, I'm not. It's 500 degrees and I just want to wear a tank top. Right, and that cover story also included remarks from pop legend Madonna who gave her two cents on the topic, saying the problem is we still live in a very sexist world where women are put into categories. They're either in the virgin category or the whore category. And noting Billy started off in a non-sexualized category, not pandering to the masses and not using her sexuality in any way, which is her choice and God bless her for that. After all, she's been a teenager all this time. And then adding, but if she wants to turn around and take photographs where she's portrayed as a feminine woman, showing her body in a way she hasn't in the past, then why should she be punished for it? Women should be able to portray themselves in any way they want. If Billy were a man, no one would be writing about this. A man could show up dressed in a suit and a tie for the first three years of his career, and then the next month he could be dressed like Prince or Mick Jagger, shirt off, wearing eyeliner, and no one would say a word. Right, so with this story, I do want to pass two questions off to you. One, do you believe 
believe that there is a double standard that we see every day. And two, what are your thoughts regarding Billy losing such a, a sizable chunk of people over a, what seems to be a single post? Right, is it moral outrage? It's someone that was one thing becoming something slightly different and so people uh, drop. I, I'd love to know your thoughts there. Then we should definitely talk about this absolutely massive news surrounding Nicki Minaj and her husband, Kenneth Petty. And this is about a story that a number of people said that Nicki Minaj was actually trying to distract people from paying attention to. They're saying she did that whole thing with COVID to change the narrative, shift focus, but here we are. And so the story here is that you have both Minaj and Petty right now being sued by a woman by the name of Jennifer Huff. With her allegations in this case going quite a while back, saying in 1994, both Petty and Huff were 16 years old in Queens. Huff saying that Petty led her into a home at knife point and raped her while she was on her way to school. And Petty actually ended up being charged with first degree rape then, eventually pleading guilty to attempted rape with a New York Times report claiming that he spent four and a half years in prison. And then we fast forward to this last August and Huff has filed a lawsuit not only detailing her rape claim, but also saying that Petty and Minaj have harassed and intimidated her into recanting the story. Saying this started last year when Petty was arrested for failing to register as a sex offender in California, which he has since pled guilty to. With the lawsuit specifically alleging harassment, witness intimidation, and intentional infliction of emotional distress, as well as sexual assault and battery against Petty regarding the case from 1994. Regarding the specifics of the harassment, Huff claims Minaj actually called her and offered to fly her to LA to talk, but Huff declined, though she still stressed to Minaj that the assault really happened. Also saying they offered a series of hefty financial rewards to both Huff and her family members in order to get her to take the story back, and claiming that an intermediary even had a prepared statement for her recanting the accusation and that Huff and her family were subjected to harassing calls and unsolicited visits from people that she believes were associated with Petty and Minaj. The lawsuit adding that Huff has not worked since May of 2020 due to severe depression, paranoia, constant moving, harassment, and threats from the defendants and their associates, saying she is currently living in isolation out of fear of retaliation. And as of yesterday, the spotlight on this story is even bigger because Huff went on the reel and decided that she wanted to speak out about this issue, saying, I'm tired of being afraid. I feel like um, the actions that were that were taken um, in regards to this whole situation have put me in a different type of fear at my age now and it was it was wrong and I don't want to be afraid anymore. Also describing the rape allegation in detail and when asked if she felt that Petty's four and a half years in prison felt like justice, she said that she never actually thought about it or looked at it that way because she was so busy blaming herself. I just knew he did what he did and he went to jail and I, uh, I had to leave my family, I had to leave my home, and I had to move away. So, yeah, I never really gave it much thought. Right, so you have that, and then on the other side of this, as far as Minaj's responses to the accusations against Petty, at one point, she tried to deny them on Instagram by saying that he was 15 at the time and that he and Huff were in a relationship. Others pointing to a comment Minaj reportedly previously made about this, where she discussed the allegations and said, white is right, implying that Huff is white in some effort to change the narrative. With that, leading to a number of fans thinking that was the case, which, what the fuck? Jumping back to what Nikki just said, right, claiming that Huff and Petty were in a relationship, well, first of all, assaults can happen within relationships. And two, Huff said that Nikki's claim was false she and Petty were not in a relationship and accusations that they were just forced her to relive what happened to her. And adding that this kind of claim especially hurt coming from another woman. And finally, re regarding the harassment that she feels that she's been subjected to via Minaj and Petty, she added that she felt like she was being threatened for turning down their offers. The last um, incident was when um, one of their associates put $20,000 on my lap and I still kept saying no. The last message I received was that I should have taken the money because they're going to 
use that money to put on my head. And adding that after that, she had to again move, change her numbers, relocate away from her children to protect them. But for now, that's where the story is. Obviously, we're gonna keep our eyes on it, see what other information comes out. And yeah, of course, this is the Philip DeFranco Show, so any thoughts you have on this, I'd love to hear from you in those comments down below. But then, uh, to switch gears, we should definitely talk about this global effort to increase vaccination and the different ways that countries are enticing their citizens. The New Zealand government is reportedly in talks with fast food brands like KFC, Taco Bell, and Pizza Hut to offer their customers COVID vaccines at their locations. Right, Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern trying to get needles in arms. Her goal is for New Zealand to have a 90% vaccination rate. And according to government data, only 40% of the country's eligible population is fully vaccinated as of Thursday, while 75% have one dose in their arm. And while on the surface, COVID vaccines at your favorite fast food place, that might seem odd, it may also make sense. One, looking into this, it turns out that New Zealanders absolutely love fast food, with reports saying that they have one of the highest per capita distributions of KFC and McDonald's outlets in the world. And two, it really does feel like we're seeing more and more stories popping up where if people just have the access to get the vaccine right in front of them with, with something else they're already doing, or yes, sometimes it being a speed bump to allow them to do it, that'll actually be enough for someone to get the vaccine. Hell, last week, more than 6,000 people received their first dose of the COVID vaccine on and off site to go to the Raiders game, right? Up until that point, for 6,000 people, all the talk about, hey, keep your neighbors safe, think about the immunocompromised, think about grandma. No, not enough to put you over the edge, but I get to see Derek Carr if you put this needle in my arm? Absolutely, go Raiders. But also, hey, joking aside, I'm not gonna shit talk you. It Whatever got you to that place, fantastic. But from that, I wanna take a quick second to thank the fantastic sponsor of today's show, MPL. And MPL, for those who don't know, is the best app to enjoy playing your favorite games like Solitaire, 21 Puzzle, Bingo, Bowling, Fruit Shop, Block Puzzle, and so much more. The app is so simple and easy to use, and I love that you'll find many skill-based games with multiple gameplay formats like head-to-head -head battles or multiplayer tournaments all in one place. Currently, I'm absolutely obsessed with 21 Puzzle, but that also makes sense. As a child, I spent a lot of time in bars thanks to life decisions my mom made. You know, I'd spend hours playing on one of those on the bar machines that they have there. And now it's fantastic because with MPL, I have it in my pocket. And because the games are skill-based, you can actually win money. Or you can play practice rounds for free, but you, you can choose any game, pay an entry fee in USD and get cash if you win. Winnings are deposited into your MPL winnings wallet and can be withdrawn from your PayPal or your bank account. Also refer friends and family went up to $20 and went up to $50,000 daily by competing and playing games on MPL. Best of all, if you click my link in the description, you sign up now, you'll get a $5 sign up bonus and MPL makes sure that users, gameplays and payments are protected. So click that link in the description to download the MPL app for free and play your favorite games, compete, and start winning cash. Then, with it being 2021, which feels very much like the year where the canceled celebrity or the, the canceled influencer then comes back, the newest name on the list appears to be Shane Dawson. Are the internet honestly not hearing much from him since last summer when he lost massive amounts of subscribers and was demonetized after facing tons of backlash for his old content? But among other things that included racist jokes, blackface, other inappropriate jokes involving children, including Willow Smith. And with all of that, he apologized. He left or at least took a break from YouTube, but then yesterday he made an appearance on The Sip, which is notably co-hosted by his fiance Rylan Adams. And in this video, he addressed what he said that it was like at the time when he was facing the peak of the criticism and the backlash. Over the last couple of years, I feel like, and I've really tried to work through it, but it is hard not to feel like I've ruined everybody's lives around me because of my mistakes in the past. And that was definitely a feeling for a while. With Dawson saying that he specifically felt like he was dragging Ryland through the mud with all of this. And as far as if and when he would come back, you know, there have been rumors. Some people in the past talked about him doing a documentary about Britney Spears. But regarding if and when he actually comes back, he says he does miss YouTube, but he's waiting until he feels inspired to come back and create something. You know, with all that said, ultimately this story comes back to a topic we have mentioned multiple times with other celebrities. For an influencer who's not tied down with like, I can't get movie deals or I'm not gonna be allowed to get on this network. Like you are your own boss, You're, you you handle your shit on the internet. Unless a crime has been committed, that, that person's been charged, they're going to jail. 
those people really don't get canceled. They just take long breaks. And that appears to be because the general public, like the internet at large, the opinion there really only matters with maybe like sponsors. Or most recently you had the example of David Dobrik, but also with Shane to get into actual numbers, there was a recent poll from Insider showing that his name recognition and favorability have drastically declined. Finding that the amount of people that heard of him dropped from 23% in April to 15% in August. And claiming that in December of 2020, his favorability was at 19.5%, but now it's just 7.8%. But if you go to the video interview of this, far more likes than dislikes. So currently that video only has just over 100,000 views. What happens when you start talking about the millions upon millions that were watching Shane before everything happened? Though so Shane has also been popping up in Ryland's vlogs, which are getting hundreds and hundreds of thousands of views in general, very well received. So with this, the question I pass off to you is, what do you think is gonna happen here? Then in what are health officials and organizations having to beg the American people to not or stop taking just weeks after begging people to not take a horse to warmer to treat COVID. Well, we now have the Asthma and Allergy Foundation of America warning Americans against huffing hydrogen peroxide. And this because yet again, you've got an unproven treatment that's been circulating on social media. And so you had them saying in a statement, people are breathing in hydrogen peroxide through nebulizers to try to prevent or treat COVID-19. Do not put hydrogen peroxide into your nebulizer and breathe it in. This is dangerous. It is not a way to prevent nor treat COVID-19. And for those unfamiliar, a nebulizer is this breathing machine used to treat asthma that turns liquid medication into a breathable mist, which you then breathe in through a mask or a mouthpiece. And then uh, hydrogen peroxide, it's the antiseptic commonly used for minor cuts, burns, and scrapes. It's also a common household cleaning agent, and it's even used as a whitener and some toothpaste, but it can also be poisonous to humans if swallowed in strong enough concentrations. And according to the Agency for Toxic Substances and Disease Registry, it can also cause respiratory inflammation and severe pulmonary irritation if inhaled, depending on how diluted it is. So yeah, that is a thing because everything is stupid. Then we should definitely talk about Biden's border troubles right now. He is absolutely getting mollywopped by both sides. Right, we've talked about the situation on earlier shows involving more than 14,000 Haitian migrants who have been camped at the Texas border. This is getting a lot of attention, especially after pictures and videos of the camp went viral, with Republicans ramping up their criticism of Biden's immigration policies, which they have long slammed as weak and ineffective. Many of them arguing that the administration made the border crisis worse and called on the president to do more to crack down on the crossings and ramp up deportations. But like I said, it's not just the GOP taking swings, you have the Dems as well. With many Democrats and immigration rights activists saying that the Biden administration has not fulfilled their campaign promises to defend immigrants. Others also slamming him for using a Trump era policy to deport the Haitians at the border and block the entrance of more refugees. And so all of that is why many have described this latest crisis as an inflection point for his administration. And adding more fuel to the fire, more pressure to the situation, the US Special Envoy for Haiti, Daniel Foote, has now resigned from his post over the Biden administration's treatment of Haitian migrants. And in his resignation letter to Secretary of State Antony Blinken, he wrote, I will not be associated with the United States' inhumane counterproductive productive decision to deport thousands of Haitian refugees and illegal immigrants to Haiti, a country where American officials are confined to secure compounds because of the danger posed by armed gangs and control of daily life. And adding, our policy approach to Haiti remains deeply flawed and my recommendations have been ignored and dismissed when not edited to project a narrative different from my own. And with that, the Biden administration has responded to the letter by trying to undermine him and dispute his claims. With a State Department spokesperson criticizing him for resigning during a challenging moment that requires leadership and adding, it is unfortunate that instead of participating in a solution oriented policy process, Special Envoy Foote has both resigned and mischaracterized the circumstances of his resignation, with the spokesperson also going on to deny Foote's claims that his suggestions were ignored, claiming there had been multiple senior-level policy conversations on Haiti where proposals, including Foote's, were fully considered in a rigorous and transparent policy process. But adding with that, some of those proposals were determined to be harmful to our commitment to the promotion of democracy in Haiti and were rejected during the policy process. For him to say his proposals were ignored is simply false. But at the same time, with all of this, some top officials in Haiti have cheered Foote's remarks 
including the country's election minister, who said, this is the first time we see a US diplomat who has decided to go against the will of the US government. We salute that. Well, yes, obviously this administration is going to try and discredit the letter. It also represents the widespread backlash that Biden has gotten so far. And then we should definitely talk about how everything may be about to go to shit. And I know that I feel like I, I need to be more specific. And specifically this time, it's because of what's happening with the US debt ceiling. There have been a lot of headlines and stories. I think a lot of it just kind of making the situation seem more complicated than it is. So I want to break down the whole situation, starting with what the debt ceiling is. There's a lot of technical jargon and bullshittery around this, but in the simplest terms, the debt ceiling is basically the maximum amount of money that the US is allowed to borrow to pay its debt. And under federal law, every time the Treasury Department comes up against that debt limit, it has to ask Congress to raise or suspend it. And because the federal government spends more money than it brings in, the Treasury hits that limit often, and Congress is called on regularly. Now, very notably here, raising this debt ceiling is not the same as adopting new spending. It's just setting a debt limit for how much money the Treasury can borrow to pay for obligations already approved by previous sessions of Congress and President. And if the government debt hits that limit, the US wouldn't be able to pay what it owes and could default on its debt. But that has never happened because as fucked as Congress can sometimes be, it is always active when called on by the Treasury. But this is a very routine process that happens frequently and it's broadly bipartisan because both parties know it would be absolutely devastating if the US defaulted. And I mean absolutely devastating. A recent analysis from Moody's found that prolonged failure to raise the limit could cost the US economy up to six million jobs, nearly double the unemployment from 5% to 9%, and wipe out $15 trillion in household wealth. Beyond that, it could also force the Treasury to halt payments on Social Security, Medicare, military spending, interest on US debt and other obligations, leaving millions of Americans without essential services and aid. So clearly, Congress needs to act here, but ever since Republican lawmakers refused to raise the limit until they got domestic policy concessions from Obama in 2011, the matter has become politicized, often pushing the Treasury to its final limits. But also, even just pushing the US close to default appears to be harmful. Back in 2011, the U.S. literally got so close to default, it tanked the stock market, slowed economic growth, and resulted in the nation's credit rating being downgraded. But despite the fact that the last debt ceiling suspension expired back in July, Congress has not acted, forcing the Treasury to take emergency cash-saving measures to prevent defaults. And so now you have Treasury Secretary Jeanette Yellen, who for months has urged Congress to raise or suspend the ceiling, warning that her department is close to exhausting all of its emergency options and will run out of cash as soon as October. So because of this, we've seen some movement in Congress. On Tuesday, the House passed legislation would raise the debt ceiling through next year, as well as keep the government funded through early December and provide around $35 billion for Afghan refugees and national disaster recovery. And you have experts noting not only is this bill absolutely essential to prevent an economic catastrophe that would undermine American recovery and send shockwaves through global financial systems, it's also needed to avoid a government shutdown when funding expires next week. But despite all of that, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell has repeatedly said that Republicans will not vote to increase the limit. With him saying that his reasoning here is that Democrats can and should do this without their help because they're pushing trillions of dollars a new spending priorities. And with that, Democrats have slammed the minority leader, arguing that his stance just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't hold water. As we already mentioned, the debt ceiling needs to be raised to pay for existing debt. In fact, a lot of the debt literally comes from the 2017 tax cuts and other spending approved by Trump with Republican votes. Democrats also calling McConnell hypocritical for a number of reasons, including uh, trillions of dollars were added to the federal debt during the Trump administration, which is way more than what's been added by Biden so far. And actually, as a result of that, Republicans raised the debt ceiling three times during the Trump administration with the support of Democrats. With a side-by-side -side comparison of McConnell talking about the debt ceiling now compared to then now going viral. But still, McConnell has refused to budge, even reportedly after being urged to do so from the Treasury secretaries under the last two Republican administrations. And to make matters even more frustrating for Democrats is that White House officials said that McConnell hasn't even outlined any requests or areas of negotiation in exchange for support of the legislation. But yeah, ultimately that is where we are. The, the next big moment regarding this situation most likely going to be Monday. Right, many waiting to see if McConnell has a change of heart or if he has one, and or we wait 
to see if enough Republican senators figure out that a massive economic calamity might not be in their best interest. It might actually hurt them as well. But with a lot of it coming down to who would the public blame? And while yes, I think uh, politically speaking, there are a lot of people in their camps, the fight usually in election season, yes, is to motivate those bases to get out, but also get those people that are somewhat kind of wishy-washy or in the middle. Now, notably there, it has been reported that a group of four Republicans are considering voting for the package, but that's also not enough to break the 60 vote filibuster, which if the Republicans embrace, I, the Democrats really don't have a plan B here. Like maybe one of the few possibilities is that Democrats could strip the debt limit measures and aid from the funding bill and get Republicans to just vote on that alone. So the government at least stays open. And after that, Democrats could then increase the debt ceiling through reconciliation, which allows them to pass it with a simple majority and no Republican support. But, and it's a very big post-op one, that process could be very time consuming. And so we could still see major economic impacts as we get closer and closer to default. But for now, we'll wait and see. We'll go into the weekend and just wonder if economic disaster with global ramifications is around the corner. Fun. Also, actually with that, if you're worried about the stock market, you're thinking about diversifying, or hell, you just want essentially $42 for free, head on over for or click the link down below to coinbasedefranco.com. It's a great service that I've used for a while now. And if you sign up for free using my link, you get $10 in Bitcoin for free. And also tons of people overlook this. They have rewards programs where you just learn about crypto really quick. These short little videos, you get essentially $32 in other crypto. So yeah, great service. And without even having to put a dollar in, you get 130 McNuggets worth of crypto. Yeah, that is where the story and today's show ends. Whether it be the last thing or anything throughout or the first thing that we talked about today, I'd love to know your thoughts in those comments down below. Spread your word, share your opinions. But with that said, as always, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces and I'll see you next time. Forgot it was Thursday for a second. That's my version of the Lego song. Everything is stupid. Wanna fucking jump off this giant cliff. <laughs> don't, don't. Uh.